Welcome to the Gamers Change Lives podcast. Play games, create jobs, change lives. This is a show about how to build an esports business from literally anywhere in the world, where each week we showcase the journey of one inspiring esports entrepreneur and learn how they solved a particular problem that everyone will ultimately face. And now, to your host, Tom Leonard. Hey there, I'm Tom Leonard. I'm the host of the Gamers Change Lives podcast. When it comes to esports, I am definitely not the expert. I'm an explorer. The goal behind the podcast is to hear from esports entrepreneurs around the world, to hear their stories, to learn how esports can create jobs, and to hopefully to inspire others to do just that. Our tagline is play games, create jobs, change lives. Today, I'm really honored to have Ediola Idun from Nigeria. She's the CEO and founder of Gamer Africa. She has experience in AI and robotics with a startup, Awari, and worked at Tech Plus. If you want to see something interesting, go watch some of her videos of the robots. Uh, uh, it, really, really clever there. I'll let her fill in a little more details on her background. On today's podcast, we want to talk about how tournaments can create jobs anywhere in the world. We've been talking to team organizers and players, and we'll be talking about sponsorships. But who better than to help us understand job opportunities than someone who's been creating esports tournaments for their own company and for other organizations? Welcome, Eniola. Tell us a little bit more about yourself and how you got to Gamer Africa. Thank you so much, Tom, for having me today. I think I mean it's such an honor to. Um, I think um, in the startup phase of Gamer, you're one of the people that I I follow on LinkedIn. And um, some of the insights and nuggets that you share have been quite helpful and useful, just so you know that I thank have you. a friend. Thank you, I appreciate that. friend as well. Um, and thank you very much for, for setting this up and, and for having me on here. Um, pretty much like yourself, I'm an explorer in the tech space. I have only been opportuned and privileged to build a um, couple of ventures um, that sees the future the way that I see it. I've been blessed with an amazing team of, you know, brilliant minds and some of the brightest on the continent, which I'm grateful for. Like you rightly mentioned, I co-founded Awari, an AI and robotics startup with Silas Adekunle, um, a British Nigerian um, robotics engineer that created the first gaming robot in the world. Um, and after that, I mean, Gamer. Gamer is a spin-off of my time at TechPlus as a general manager. I mean, that was a huge platform that connected all things technology. And a big part of that since 2015, when we started out, was esports, right? For us, it started off as an attraction, a side attraction. And we begin to witness thousands of people um, coming from all over um, the continent, you know, participate and contest as well as compete for, for the prize pool. So um, come 2019, 2020, when pandemic hit, right? I mean, it was difficult to to have such large convergence. It was it was difficult, and we also, as many others, hit that brick wall as to what next for this community that we have we had built um, since 2015. And at this time, um, I tell you, I kid you not, we were um, 50, 56,000 communities strong when it comes to gamers at as a twenty twenty. And we're thinking, look, I mean, having this community. 
is so big that we cannot afford to just press pause, right? So we decided to look around and we said to ourselves, you know what, how do we leverage technology um, to ensure that um, the stop, the ad stop on the physical event does not affect um, the community? As a matter of fact, how do we then look around for opportunities to ensure that we provide that enabling environment and infrastructure for people to continue with what they love to do? And of course, earn a living. And we continue to build the community in essence. So that's how we, we started with um, Gamer. Um, and of course, we, we built Gamer Africa. No, that's, that's great. That's, that, that, that's a good journey there. It's like um, concentrating on the, on the science side of things and the technology side of things. It's like a lot of people come to esports from the, from the gaming, you know, from the social aspect. But it's 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 interesting also to come from the tech aspect. A lot of our listeners here, one of the things that we're we're talking to people that aren't necessarily familiar with esports. And one of the things I was just curious if there was what when we're talking about tournaments, what is it? How would you explain what an esports tournament is, and how do tournaments fit into the entire um, esports industry? Thank you very much, um, Tom, for, for that question. So um, if you look at tournament, I believe tournament um, is, is the stage, right, that showcases um, individuals' talents, right? And um, thinking about it, that's where you start to get the understanding that esports is way more than leisure as it has been perceived. Because that is the stage where people come together, people come out to show their talent, their progress, and of course there is something at stake. Um, it's the competitiveness of, of the game, right? And if you look at it, that's really how you start to think passion drivers, right? That's when it starts to make sense in the in the real world. So it's beyond, um, you know, playing with your console at home, um, playing behind your computer, or using or, or playing a mobile game. This is where, um, I mean, if you ask me, I liken it to conventional sports, right? Because there's a lot, there's a whole lot of fandom that a lot of people do not even understand or see, and the only way they can really truly experience that is through tournaments. So tournaments, for me, just the way that I would describe it in my head is the stage um, and the opportunity that esports um, esports athletes have to compete, right? To compete for a, a prize pool across different titles that you know they feel comfortable or they enjoy to, to play. I mean, it's the serious, it's, it's where the work gets done for these players. Yeah, the, the, the key word in there that, uh, that I picked out in your good description was prize pool because tournaments typically involve someone um, earning a prize, someone having the chance to, uh, to earn uh, a prize where there's so many, you know, the majority of esports is played at group of friends together playing for fun but with a tournament it's like there's there's usually money on the line what um what kinds of esports tournaments are there are there there live ones and virtual ones and hybrid ones absolutely um i think the mobile games and of course um the ever evolving um uh, mobile space has really made that possible so now you have mobile games and uh, mobile games um competition or tournaments can be done virtually, right? For instance, we have um, we have a tournament that's called GCC, 
um, Gimmins Challenges Cup, right? That we do every year. And um, that is strictly mobile, right? So it's across Call of Duty, PUBG, it's mobile. And we typically have um, participants or groups from almost 14 to 16 countries, um, you know, groups of, of players um, compete um, at that tournament. So yes, um, there's the mobile version, there's the physical version. Um, so really, I feel right now, where we currently are, it's, it's a hybrid model, right? Because again, console isn't going away anytime soon, I tell you, especially because the biggest titles are on console. FIFA, you know, FIFA is on console. And if you look at like, the, I mean, that's got like a pedigree, right? That is relatable um, for gamers. So FIFA isn't going, <laughs> isn't going away anytime soon. And that's majorly on console. So it's really a combination of both. And to really get the best out of out of um, console gaming, um, the best the best way to run that tournament is really go physical, right? And for the online online games, right, the best way to do that is virtual. So right now, it's really a hybrid model for the ecosystem. Yeah, yeah. I mean, there's nothing nothing better than the the, the live event. I mean, it's just it doesn't have to be the huge, you know, five hundred, you know. Fi- 50,000 people for the League of Legends. It's just like even smaller events you can see. Um, uh, and then that's kind of leads us into um, Gamer X, your 10 nation tournament that I was, I, I've seen a lot of press on here lately paying attention. It looked like it was a, a great time. Can you tell us a little mo- bit more about how that, sh- how that started and what exactly happened there? Because it sounds like it was a real success. I tell you, Tom, um, I'm still mind blown, to be honest. Um, I've, I've received tons of messages and, and I've, I've been seeing the press and, and everything, the coverage and all. I've not, I've not been able to respond to anything. I've not been able to write anything. I mean, if you check all of my pages across digital um, and social media, and that's because um, it, it's been quite overwhelming. Something that started as um, just an idea. And the idea is really simple. And if you look, if you look across the continent, Tom, I mean, um, as far as esports and gaming is concerned, North um, North Africa and South Africa are way ahead of, of us in in the West, um, East, and of course Central. And that's because they've got like um, the publishing server, which allows you know, I mean, they don't have lag and stuff like that. And there's a lot of investments going into those markets, right? Um, so for us, I mean, just thinking through, because we have a lot of players from West Africa, East Africa, and of course, a bit of Central as well. So just thinking through, we started thinking, how do we get these publishers or the global guys to pay attention to us, right? Because it's, it's really, it's something that I consider unfair that, you know, these other people can participate in global tournaments, right? And that's, that, that in essence, um, increases, you know, like, the power, the earning power of these players. So it's important that we get, you know, we get the world to pay attention to us that we're ready. Um, before game, I was having conversations with certain publishing house and, and stuff like that. And one of the things that we had is, you know, you guys really, you guys play video games in that market. I mean, there's no data. So we've got fragmented data. Um, it, it was a safe though, you know, like everything that we've been doing for the past years, you know, didn't really matter or anything. So for us, GameIX was, you know what, we need to do something. We need to come together as one um, and, you know, just do something for the continent that will let the world pay us attention and we'll get, and we get people to start to, you know, look into, into um, this market, right? 
and became about Gamer X. Now, can you tell me a little bit about the time frame? Because you you came up with the idea just a few months before you actually did it. I think one of the things people people are always and you know when we're talking about creating tournaments, it's like man, it takes a long time to plan a tournament, and it takes even longer to plan a big tournament. But you guys pulled this off in a matter of months, didn't you? Absolutely, Tom. Uh, we did. However, um, I think one of the things that helped, um, like I said to you, we started running tournaments. You know, we started running tournaments since 2015. So as as a, as people, you know, as a team, we built um, you know significant credibility and pedigree in the ecosystem, in the industry, on the continent. So the resources were somewhat available. It was easy for a lot of partners to trust us. Um, and when I say partners, no, not necessarily sponsors. I mean, even, um, you know, across the different markets, the stakeholders. So, for instance, Kwesi is the president of eSports Association in Ghana. It was exciting news to him. He was happy to collaborate. He was happy to run qualifiers for us because we ran qualifiers in all of the participating countries. I mean, just imagine that. We ran qualifiers in 10 countries. So um, because we built that sort of trust, brand trust and affinity, it was easy for a lot of people to trust in what we're able to deliver. Um, so I think that sort of accelerated the plans um, for us as a business. And to be honest, Gema in its entirety is going to be eight months at the end of this, of this, of this month. So we're not even a year old just yet. <laughs> no, just that, that's, that's just amazing that you've come this far. In such a short period of time, that's uh, no, that, that's amazing. I have some uh, other questions on tournaments. I yeah. I could go on and on and on here because I really uh, like it, this terms, but I'm trying to focus a little bit so that we don't get way out of hand on our time. So, a lot of people when they are thinking, you know, of creating their own tournament, they don't always think of all the little details that come into play. And what I'm hearing from you saying <clears throat> is that. A lot of this stuff is second nature because of your experience and in, in creating tournaments. And for a lot of people, they don't have that. And if they're just starting out. So I've got some logistics questions here to, uh, that might be of interest to people. What, what games work best for a tournament? If you're going to create a tournament, what games would you choose? And what games would you not choose? Would you shy away from? Thank you very much, Tom. Um, I think first and first, um, for games, it has to be multiplayer, multiplayer games, right? I mean, if it's not multiplayer games, then it limits the competitiveness of the title. So um, you you probably wouldn't even have a lot of people interested in the game in the first place. So it has to be a multiplayer game, um, game title to start with. Um, in addition to that, I believe... Um, Community as well dictates. Um, there are certain game titles that we are trying so hard to start to build the community. And there are certain game titles that we already have existing community. I mean, the, the, the community and the, the passion, you know, speaks for itself. So I think it's important to, to look at those two. I mean, wherever it is, whatever it is that you want to do, your immediate community. Because at the end of the day, community is what drives this particular industry. Right, the video games industry, esports, and 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 gaming itself—it's the community, it's, it's the people. So you look at your community and you see the different game titles that is popular, um, that will pick the interest of you know the 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 um, the players, right? And that's that's how you go. So it's important that it's a multiplayer game, and of course, what 
are those titles that you've got your community clamoring for playing on a daily that you're, you're comfortable. I mean, it's okay to add like new games like we're trying to do. We're try, trying to introduce certain games. I mean, PC gaming is not popular in this side um, just yet, um, on this side just yet, I beg your pardon. But it's something that we're really pushing um, with with some of the of, of the publishers just to ensure that, you know, we have a lot of following in the PC community. So most, most of the tournament, like at, at uh, Gamer X 10 Nation, it was done on console? Yes, it was console and mobile. It was a mixture of console and mobile. You know, when you have a when you have a tournament like that, uh, a live event tournament, do you also recommend people to also create a virtual um, component to it so people can can um, can watch the tournament if they can't be there? Absolutely. I mean, Gamer was streamed all over the world. I think we got viewers from thirty four countries. Um, so it was streamed all over the world and um, as well I mean for players now most of the players for the mobile games were actually not in country I think we only had the top four teams in country so some of those guys played from their countries for the mobile games I mean for console they were all on ground from the different countries so um, there's always a virtual element as, as, as you know if you have mobile games in your as part of the game titles for your tournaments, there's always that virtual element um, in it. And it makes it interesting. I mean, I think the possibility of people playing from all over the world and competing for prizes is just mind-blowing. Oh, it, yeah, yeah, yeah. Just to be able to have conversations like this, you know, f- uh, you know, halfway across the world, you know, video conferences, you know, for free online. It's just like, it's, it, it, it's just amazing. So, yeah, it's a good thing to take advantage of. How do you find a venue? Where 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 was um, Gamer uh, Gamer X, um, the Ten Nation? Where was it held? Where was the the um, the actual location? And then, can you explain how people can get a hold of venues? That was obviously something that's pretty big, but even a small venue. How do people do that? Um, so Gamer X was held at I, I think the largest convention center um, as of today in Nigeria, Eco Convention Center. Um, that was where we we held Gamer X because again I I thought that was that was a leap, right? We did it just we just did it afraid regardless like we're going to pull this off for the continent and we did and we filled it up by the way, um, and it was the first of its kind um, gaming event with that much um, you know crowd or audience. So I think that the size of your audience matters when you're trying to find a venue. Um, be I mean, outside of GameX, we've had like mini tournaments and some we have online, some we just, I mean, we also have like a physical retail um, gaming sport, I mean, where video game sport, where people come in to, to play. Um, so sometimes we use that. We use, we use that space as well. Sometimes we look around and create like sets the way we, I mean, the look and feel that we want with any space pretty much, right? So we, and, and that's the interesting thing about esports. You can literally create something from nothing. Um, you can use a car pack, right? Set up your consoles, your monitors, your PCs, your screens, you know, put your bleachers and bingo, you're good to go. So um, I think it's really what you're trying to, it depends on what you want to achieve with um, with the different tournaments. I mean, your set objectives, that's what really dictates and the size of your audience 
and of course um what you want to pay um i mean what you have to pay for for the for the venue i think that's what really matters in trying to pick out um venues or locations for your tournament but it could be pretty much anywhere and any, anything you can build from from anything yeah yeah the car park is probably going to be less expensive than the than the uh, convention center but it's a different 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 world there um where do you where do you find the equipment the all the computers if you're if you're creating a tournament it's a live tournament and so where where do you come up with all the equipment are there vendors out there that do that yes the vendors um the vendors um and um i believe one of the clever things that we've, I mean, we, we sort of like, we're big on partnerships. And I think really, as anyone starting out um, in this space, I think partnerships very key. So we look around and say, look, I mean, you can be a partner. You don't have to give us money, but we need this from you, right? And that really helps. And it reduces like the cost of putting together a tournament significantly. So there are vendors and of course, beyond vendors, they're actual um, brands that have got certain things that we need um, so we just sort of like maybe write to them start a conversation but of course we tend to start those conversations early in term- because of approval processes and all of that and all of that because most of these brands are sometimes you know they're mostly global brands so they need to like speak to like the global office and things like that but we look around for partners I mean they're, they're vendors right that you have to pay money to get certain equipment but again they're partners who's got what you need. So it just depends on how you're able to leverage sort of partnerships to get the sort of equipment that you need for, for your tournaments. Got it, got it. What about the getting permission from the publishers to use the games? How do, how do you do that? Or do you do that? I'm not saying you in, yes. you in particular, but do people, do people need to yeah. get, um, not trying to get you into trouble here. I mean, it's it's totally. I mean, it's it's totally fine. Um, as again, if this is not as if it this if you're not doing this for leisure or it's not play, right? That's a serious business. So governance um, processes, policies, the the things that you can even joke with when building out a business like we're doing at Gamer. So um, that most of the publishers, right, and the IP owners, they've got certain rules and um, process in place and regulations in place that you have to like set as guide, you know, um, in putting together this tournament. So for instance, like um, EA has a minimum um, amount, a minimum price pool, you know, that you cannot exceed. So there's a threshold that has been set. So the minute you're crossing that threshold, then it means you have to get certain licenses, right? Um, and setting approvals. But as long as you're not crossing like those thresholds set, then you, you're fine. Um, you just need to ensure that the players abide by those, by setting guidelines and the rules that have been set by each of these um, IP owners or, or publishers. So it, it's as, it's almost as simple as that. But it's something that is very critical. It's a critical component of, of the entire industry. Yeah, yeah. No, that's good to hear. It's good to hear you're following the rules. That's 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 always a, a, a smart way to do it. I was talking to the Warner Brothers where I worked over here at Warner Brothers, the WB Games people on getting licenses for uh, Mortal Kombat. And it was like, yeah, it was just kind of a formality. But one of the things that I found there, and particularly talking to those guys, is it's it's good for a smaller tournament to get on the radar of the publisher. 
because on the one hand you think you're you're the you know you're the tournament organizer you're trying to get you know them to do you a favor of of of, of giving you that you know you got to go through the hoops to do it in reality you're getting on someone's radar by uh by going and asking for that permission and maybe that doesn't lead anywhere but maybe it does because you never know when when those kind of connections uh might come in handy let's talk a little bit about jobs because again that's kind of the focus of the gamers change lives podcast when you're talking about uh creating a tournament can you describe some of the jobs that you need to fill to be a success and you know be as be as detailed as you want because what I want to think I'm trying to get people to understand is there's more jobs than being a player it's like it but people don't always think of all the jobs that are out there so on a tournament what kind of jobs do you fill Tom thank you very much for this for this question um, I think as part of my narrative in this space it's something that I'm very passionate about um, because before we even get to the tournament right you don't just have jobs for players um, I understand some people just declamor to be like eSport players eSport athletes but for instance you've got like a whole community especially when you're targeting like multi countries or multi cities for instance Nigeria that is our origin market has got 36 states I want players from all 36 states I cannot physically be in 36 states um, my team members cannot be in 36 states right so um, you need community managers right and you need community managers that understand local terrain you know they can there's no language barrier they understand it and they're able to communicate to you as well those guys I mean we call them mods and I mean they're moderators but we call them mods right I mean they're discord mods those are community managers they are not, they are on the payroll they're on gamers payroll for instance right that is job creation and it's a no small um, it's not it's a no small um, number at all because I mean that's just Nigeria we're thinking of you know going 20 states 10 states 14 states um, so just Think about the number of jobs that you've created for each person across the different um, different um, verticals or the different community channels on Discord or whatever channel or means you, you want to use. Uh, and that's just before the tournament. You have your mods, you have, you know, communications team. You just have different people, um, you know, doing different things per time. You have like your video editor. There's a lot of creative and graphics involved in this. So beyond the beyond the the gamers, right? It's an it's an entire value chain. And I think it's important that people understand that. And everyone has that opportunity to plug in, right? And make a living out of this. It's an industry that is growing out. I mean, and will continue to grow. Um, now moving to the tournament piece. <laughs> I mean look at the set. If you've seen um, some of the pictures from GamerX, it was a lot of work. So from the stage design, so th from the stage design to the sh um, shoutcasters, we call them shoutcasters. These are like you um, commentators. I mean, on the, um, the what? It's one of, one of the best titles ever. I always yeah. like talking about shoutcasters because that's like completely unique to esports. Sorry. Yeah, yeah. So we've got we've got shoutcasters, we've got um, you know, streamers, right? I mean if you if you get into Game IX it was a full on production, we've got we had cranes, we had um, the drones, everything. We had videographers, photographers, and this guy drones? Yeah, we had drones. Yeah. Oh yeah. wow. 
That's great. <laughs> yeah, and, and this guys, I tell you something, Tom. These guys are pretty much. It was almost like we didn't we didn't set that, but they understand the gaming space. They understand that. So the shots, they, we didn't have to do too much briefing. They understood everything that needed to be done. So from stage designing to light design to I mean even people like the bleachers and the all everything right so that tournament i kid you not created about i mean and this is not to even exaggerate um it created about 180 types of jobs right i mean people who earned something just by being part of the tournament and we had um we had about 90 92 volunteers signed up as well right um, to be to be a part of it, you know, from registration to to tagging and 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 all of that. So um, in all, I think that the GameIX must have created about two hundred and fifty jobs back, um, over three days, right? And just imagine if we have um, you know lots of those sort of events, maybe not as big as GameIX, but you know, um, as an industry, right? Just have different tournaments and people trying to help people understand like you're doing right now that you don't have to be an esport athlete you j- just come with your skill and you know the industry needs that i mean we need that unique skill we need that unique ability and capability to function because without it i mean we'll, we'll probably not be able to function yeah no that this is this is really good information this is exactly what i wanted to be talking about because one of the things being here in the entertainment business um a lot of times it thinks people think of TVs and movies as like being the actor. And what you realize when you're around the business here, it's like the, the actor is just one little, little tiny part of it. There's so much that has to happen for that, uh, for that actor to be able to do their job. And it, and that's what is creates the industry. Now, when you're talking there, um, so you have some, some um, volunteer jobs, some paid jobs. Are, what kind of pay do people get for doing this? Is it kind of, market rate sort of things or are they kind of doing it because they want to do it in games or or are they uh full paying jobs so um at gamer we've got like we've got a team that work every day you know on this and when we have tournaments we have like this contract i mean people will work with us on 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 contract right over a number of days um and really it's really market rate i mean if you're a set designer for instance Right, you will not. You can get paid below what the market rate is, regardless of you know considering ourselves as a new industry that is just coming up. Right, um, you're being paid for your skill. Right, so it's not. We don't. We we really don't. I mean, I personally, I'm not an advocate of free labor. Right, I mean, you must have gone through something um, to learn the skill and 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 you know acquire the skill, and I think you deserve to be paid for that. Um, however, just because we are pioneer, I mean, Gamer is a pioneer in this space. We try as much as possible to do some sort of benchmarking with the entertainment industry at large and not exactly the esports industry. Um, most times we're very close um, to the market rate and in some cases we're even above um, the market rate. But I think that for GameX, for instance, I'm not sure anyone earned um less than um between sixty dollars. I'm not sure anyone earned less than sixty dollars and sixty dollars is the bare minimum. 
um, that you that you that anyone earned, and that's maybe volunteers who I mean they've come willingly to volunteer, but we need to cater for certain things, you know, the transportation, the feeding, and things like that. But no one earned um, less than sixty dollars um, on 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 this, and that's like standard practice for us as as a business. That's great. No, that that's good for you. That that's a good way to do it. Let's talk about money in a in a bigger way because what I'm trying to get across is how much does it cost to put on a tournament? And I'm not trying to ask you how much did Gamer X cost, but let's say someone who's interested in, in creating a tournament, a, a live tournament, and they've never done this before and they're kind of walking into it. What kind of a, what kind of a budget would you, would you think that they would be looking at to make it successful? Tom, um, I think, I think that is really, I mean, that's heavily dependent on the sort of, um, you know, objectives you're trying to tick off the box. So we have some TOs, and, and when I say TOs, tournament organizers, right? We have tournament organizers that it, it, it doesn't cost them more than $200, right? Um, for a weekend event. And that's really just, I mean, maybe just a game title. And all they, they need is just administrative fee and then maybe a $100 price pool. So it's really, there's like the, again, the different tiers, right? There's a tier one, tier two, tier three. And this is all dependent on, you know, um, as at Gamer, we have tournaments like that. And those are like considered tier three, tier four tournaments, right? And that's because those tournaments are mostly to seed adoption in community, in the market, right so to get people to use our platform to use our technology to be in our community because we need i mean that's really we're a business after all so we need that we need the user base to be as large as possible so um tournaments are in different tiers um different tiers so tier one for instance i will say that you're looking at um between two hundred thousand dollars and above it gets it gets that eye and then when you think three, tier three, tier four, maybe, I mean, from $1,000 to about $200. But, I mean, tier one, you want a standard um, that is close to like, I mean, you want a standard on the continent that is close to global, um, you know, global events. You, you're you looking at hundreds, a couple of hundreds of thousands of, um, of dollars. Yeah, I think that's, uh, yeah, having planned large-scale events here in, in the U.S., it's like, yeah, that you, you can, you can, you can, if you want to do it right, it, it takes money to do it Million. right. Million. So, yes. I remember yes. telling, yeah, I remember telling one of my, you know, a member of my team, like, we have to do this big, I want a world-class event. They're like, and like, you don't have world-class. You need to speak to ESL. You'll be talking a million. So not world-class. We're going to have a really great show, but definitely not that standard yet. So yeah, it, it, yes. it can go up to a million. Yes. Yes. So, um, how do, how are most tournaments funded? I mean, is it usually sponsorship? You're talking about, I've heard you talk about sponsors and partners. Could you talk about how sponsors help fund it and what partners do for the tournament? Yes. Um, yeah, most tournaments are heavily reliant on sponsorship, right? Um, however, I mean, in this, in, in this market, um, one of the things that Gema is also doing is helping brands, especially helping brands understand how to leverage um, this passion point and connect to the digital generation. Um, because, I mean, these guys are big on, on gaming. So um, just because they do not understand it yet, 
properly, um, the sponsorship appetite is quite low. Um, but we're getting them. If you look at GameX, we had some of the big, I mean, we have some of the biggest um, sponsors I mean, from Pepsi and, and Red Bull and, and things like that. What, one um, of the things I saw, one of the things I saw was uh, on one of the Esports Africa um, mini documentaries I was watching there yesterday, in fact, and he's, the, the, the host is interviewing people and the wall behind him is just covered with stickers. And I was thinking, I was just amazed because, you know, I, I was thinking what work it took to get each one of those stickers up there. I mean, there's so many of them and it just looked like, oh, everyone's a sponsor. But just knowing that it, that didn't happen by accident. There was, there, was, there was effort for every single one of those stickers that was up there. And it was an amazing group. Yeah, thank you very much. Um, the spot we had, um, so like you, like I, I said earlier on, we had sponsors, we had partners. So for instance, we had media partners that were there. We had, um, I mean, Supersport was there. I mean, we didn't get any cash, um, you know, what, whatsoever, but we had a broadcast. It wasn't live, but we had a broadcast to 62 countries. That in its own is, is major, right? If we have to, if we've got like to pay, broadcast um, fees for that it would have been it would have been thousands hundreds of thousands right um, but we didn't have to do that so we've got like media partners who are responsible for amplification and ensuring that you know the word is out there there's appropriate media coverage and, and things like that we also had partners who you know we call them valuing kind vik right um so for instance um you know um, Pepsi, for instance, would have would have had to. I mean, there was like discounted cost because they all of the audience we had them um, four thousand eight hundred people, like in the all right, and they were served bottomless drinks. So just think about how much we would have spent as a business <laughs> to 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 give four thousand eight hundred people drinks bottomless from ten from one p.m. in the afternoon to ten p.m. at night. So there's certain yeah. So there's certain elements that that is that is key for us that we have. I mean, we've got like partnership experts. There's, there's like the partnership team. They always design like the different means, so they are able to say, you know what, this is what your sponsorship fee should cost. But we believe there's value that you can add. You can add. So we're going to do like we're going to have like a discounted figure, right? So you're taking part. You're taking care of this part of this event for us. And then we can get the, the remaining cash. So that's really how we sort of like navigate, um, you know, the cost for the event, um, you know, from do, sponsorship and partnership. Do um, you said you had 4,800 people attending there. Do the attendees pay an entrance fee? No, it was it was a free to attend event. Even players, it was it was free to attend. And and that for us really, thank you very much. I've had this question a lot. But you would have made a lot of money and I'm like, for us right now, because again, the market is like sort of new. Um, so really it's showing what's possible. So it's a pool strategy, it's a pool effect, right? When you have people in your community and you have demonstrated value consistently, then it becomes a no-brainer for them to spend their money with you. So for us as a startup and a new business, um, it's it's a pool strategy for us. So it was it was a free to attend event. So when people came there, I'm just trying to figure out how the how the how it works, just so others people can understand how it works. It's like uh, this is the explorer part of it. It's like um, 
<clears throat> so when people came to attend the event, what did they have to spend money on? Was there anything for them to spend money on there? If they did, if it was free to get in, in the the free free Pepsi, um, was there uh, merchandise that was for sale that that people were buying, or, or was it completely a free event for anyone that showed up? It was completely free, Tom. I mean, it was completely free. Um, food was was free. Drinks was free. Um, I mean, I I think one of the one of the sponsors or partners had a merchandise stand, a merch stand, and I guess that was just it. But from a business um, standpoint, we didn't have anything that would take your money. We just wanted you to come have a have a lifetime experience. Um, you know, be the be part of the first set of people to experience this life on the continent. I mean, just that feel. So it was completely free. Um, we gave out certain merchandise from stickers to, to T-shirts, but to like selected few at the other gaming area, like just like keep people um, going and all. So it was com- this was completely free. However, of course, we have setting, I mean, we have setting strategy on the roadmap that of course has to um, contribute to, to our revenue effort in maximizing that sort of number. Which is which is like the practice, you know, worldwide. How do you how do you determine what the prizes are? Again, right now because um, we we are like the the first to do this on this on this scale. Um, so the closest that we we're using as benchmark right now is the entertainment industry. So the concert tickets, right? Um, because what we did, I mean, for, for, I mean, beyond this event being a gaming event, we also sort of played on other fashion drivers, like other what this sort of audience wants, right? So we infuse um, some sort of like music into this. So um, the closest benchmark for us is concerts, right? So how much will people pay to listen to this person? So right now we're thinking, how much will this will people pay? to watch this event and again they're like local football events as well around so it's just really um going between the that i mean that sort of benchmark and then we now decide like a price point um again deciding a price point is also considering the buying power of our audience so that that's really very key for us now, did the uh did the players who won there and it was it was so interesting to watch the the players on the on the um Esports Africa uh, video because th- th- some of the players were so excited and some of the players were just like uh, yeah they they get yeah you know, they, they knew exactly who beat them it's like they were naming names it's like this person last time the last tournament I was in he he knocked me out and he knocked me out again and they were they were not happy but uh, it was part part of the competition do the players were the players um, and just in general, are, are players winning prize money? Oh yes, yes, that's the prize pool. Yes. So how do you how do you when you're organizing it? It's like how do you decide what what the prize pool should look like? How much how much is too much, and how how much is not enough? Again, um, um, this this um, I mean tournaments happen every time around the world, right? So we just sort of like, you know, what was done maybe previous years, what is currently like, what's going on right now, what is too much, what is not too much. So I think it's 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 a matter of, um, I mean, you just have to sort of like, it's personal, uh, 
not personal like myself you get what i mean i mean it's a it's business prerogative to really set the price pool but um as an industry you, you know too well for an event of that size not to go below a certain threshold and you know when you go above you also need to consider like i mentioned earlier the regulations that have been set in place um by some of the publishers or, or ip owners for different game titles so i think that really guides and sort of helps as well in determining what should be the payout for price pool yeah yeah and i, I always tell people that the, the most important advice is make sure you set that money aside you don't want to get to the end and not have it to pay to the uh to the um to the to the winners i mean uh, that's just it causes more trouble than it than it, than it costs. I want to talk a little bit about emerging markets because, you know, here in California, we just think, you know, creating a tournament, creating a, a team, you know, it's, it's, it's easy and it's universal, but it's just, that's just not true everywhere in the world. So I wanted to just ask you a, a little bit about, you know, what are the challenges of holding an esports tournament in an emerging market in Africa that other people in other parts of the world may not have? The first one is the server, like I mentioned. Um, it's limiting because of the lags and, and things like that. So what we have started to do is, um, beyond the publishers, is also to look at our local MNOs and set the sort of support, I mean, mobile network providers, and set the sort of support that they can, you know, give to the industries, probably by whitelisting some of these games and see how... Um, customers or the community can pay, can play data free on some titles and things. So we're exploring a whole lot in that aspect. So one like the biggest challenge that I currently see um, right now is the server. Um, of course, the internet as well. But I think that one of my favorite um, quotes, and I think this industry further validates it, is when there is when there is a will, there is a way. Um, the players are so resilient. I mean, even with like, <laughs> you know, they're the really not so strong, um, you know, speed, internet speed and all of that. They keep going just because they're passionate and they believe there is something in, in here for them. But that is a serious, um, you know, issue that we've, we've had to deal with. So, for instance, creating tournament, you need a backup for a backup, if that makes sense in terms of the sort of internet provider that you use, because um, it's it's really important. So I, I say that that is, um, I mean, those two will be like really, really significant challenges. Um, of course, you know, I'll start to look at the community for the different game titles, um, the numbers and, and things like that. Um, yeah, which of course, the, the important and the like challenges as well, but you, you sort of have control over those um, you know, micro um, challenges, but the macros, you, you just, um, we need to figure it that out as um, a continent, as an, as an, an industry um, that wants to grow, so, so that wants to really grow. What I heard you talking about the earlier, and it, dove, it dovetails into this, is like you wanted to show to the outside world what Africa could do with GamerX. And, and I think you're, you, you know, you're going down the right road there. It's like you, you can talk all you want to people, uh, to publishers, to organizations, but it's like, but if they don't, uh, if they don't see any action, it's, it's much harder for them to pay attention. So, no, I think, I think you're on the, uh, on the right. right. 
on the right path there. Yeah, and we also that's um, you know I've been hearing a lot from other other guests talking about the servers there, and and one of the things I thought it was interesting in talking with uh, Kwese and and Kofi was that they said to a certain advantage to a certain degree it's an advantage for a player in Africa to work with the with the difficulties of of having the, a bad ping rate because then when they go to a, a tournament in um, in in uh, Europe they're at an advantage because they're used to playing you know at a disadvantage and it helps their training as that's not a reason to not have servers there but it was it, it just like you were talking about people are resilient it's like okay how can we you know use this as a uh, as a benefit for what it is that we're doing had just in kind of in starting to wrap up here because I could keep talking and talking. This is, I think tournaments are so fascinating and you've done such a good job there. It's, there's just a lot of advice that people can get when you're, if you were talking to someone that is um, thinking, Hey, I want to go start a tournament. This sounds interesting. I want to go start a tournament. You're not a big one. Just starting, starting out a tournament. What are, what are three things that you would tell them? What are three pieces of advice you'd say, make sure you do this, this, and this for them to have a better chance of success. What would you tell someone? I think the first one will be your community. You cannot do anything outside of your community. So before you, I mean, before you go out there or come out to say, I want to do this, you have to, you need to have done a significant amount of work in your community. You need to have a community. Whatever that is, it doesn't have to be large numbers, but you need to ensure there's a community for the for the game title that that you want to go for. So here in in this market, there's some. I mean, gamer isn't particularly like very strong with PC PC games, and that's. I mean, it's one of the of the titles that we are actively pushing right now and building community for. But as at today, we're not like our numbers aren't crazy for PC gaming. However, what we've done, because partnerships are the core of what we do in collaboration, we know certain um, community or esports organizations that are strong when it comes to PC. So we leverage on that. So I, be, I, I think anyone who wants to start off needs to, it's almost like KYC, like know your customer, know your audience, right? So your community is so important. You need to know your community and know that whatever game title you want to run as um, a tournament, right? makes sense right it's what your community wants it's what you have the numbers and the following for i mean it just really makes um, things easy right the second thing is when you in setting your price pool it has to be something that it's either your sponsor is paying or you have that money and and you made a brilliant point around just keeping that money aside because that really distorts the credibility of what you're trying to build at gamer for instance for every tournament you participate in we have you sign a TNC, right? Of course, as part of the TNC, is a 14-day payout period, right? So you know that 14 days, right? On or, or before the end of that, you get your money. So I think a lot of tournament organizers need to understand that, that credibility is all that. I mean, that if you want the community to trust you. You want them to, to, t- to be able to take your word for it. So I think building that credibility, that brand trust is important. So when you say you're going to give out this price pool and show that you're giving it out at this time, and even if the money isn't going to like be paid at a certain time that you have set in your TNC, ensure to communicate with these people. 
um they're gen they're mostly gen z's they're not patient <laughs> they're very quick to they're very quick to use the media and that can hurt you as someone who is just starting so i think that's also important and i think lastly lastly is to know i mean i mean you have to understand like in the esport business right in the esport or gaming business right it's not particularly it's not like a wildfire in terms of revenue um it's something that has built over time so when you're doing it you have to ensure that you you want to do it right you want to do it because um you believe in in it right and you see it um it's 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 it, there's a there is something i call delayed gratification but you have to do the work so you need to start um and build consistently build your community consistently but you need to have it at the back of your mind that i'm doing this and it's delayed gratification so it's not one of those industries you go into for quick wins or quick money or quick revenue and get out of it so with the three points that i've made in, in, in with the three points that i have just made i mean having those three at the back of your mind as a tournament organizer or building an esport organization, I think you will do just fine. That's really, really well put. And I think one of the things that um, I keep learning more about what you're doing there at Gamer, there is a whole lot of work behind the scenes that we don't see. When when you're talking to Ade about you know some of the data and stuff like that, it's like oh he's just like you know the data says this, the data says that. I know that, that data doesn't just appear magic. I mean that there's a lot of effort and it takes a lot of forethought, it takes a lot of planning. You know, data in particular. I mean, it, it is you know you've got to figure out how to be able to use it. But to, it's, it's something I was, you always used to tell people when doing email marketing, which I used to do a lot of. It's like, never test anything that you aren't going to do anything with the result. Don't test this subject line versus this subject line just because, oh, it's fun. Let's let's figure out which one works better. Have a, have a plan behind it. Have Say, okay, we're going to test this concept and this concept. And then when this one wins, we're going to test this and, and have a plan, <clears throat> excuse me, a plan behind it. And that's what I... I I'm reading into you guys there that there's there's a plan behind what right. you're doing. Absolutely. I mean, um, as as gamer as a business, um, I, I, I dare say so that we are the first out of this market to be venture backed, right? Um, and of course, being venture backed in the market in an in an industry that is niche and is you know uncharted, right? A, we must have shown a, a lot of thoughts on our roadmap. So yes, you're correct by saying there's a lot of thoughts, there's a lot of efforts um, that goes behind everything we do at Gamer. Great, great. Hey, I really appreciate this conversation. This is this is really interesting and, and so many great pieces of information for someone that's interested in, in thinking, yeah, maybe I can create an esports tournament. It's like when you go and you look what, what you guys have done at GamerX in a matter of months, it's like, yes, people can do that. So <clears throat> what? Uh, where can people find out more about what you're doing on social media? Where, where, what's the best way to find out what you're doing and what gamers doing? Um, my, my personally, I mean, and you're like doing across all, all my, all my channels, um, all the digital channels. Um, I mean, um, LinkedIn, Instagram, Twitter, it's, that's, that's what I go by. Um, for the business is um, on Instagram is gamer.africa. 
um, which I think it's same on, on LinkedIn as well. So it's really Gamer Africa everywhere. So on YouTube, on Instagram, on Twitter, on Trila, everywhere. Um, we are there, we're very present as Gamer Africa. Great. Hey, I, I cannot wait to see the next Gamer X uh, event coming up next yes, year or I sooner. I, I know, I know <laughs> I that it's... I know it's on its way. Hey, if you are listening to this podcast, always, um, I invite you to subscribe to it to catch the next episode. We're going to be talking to people about um, uh, sponsorship, all important, follow the money. We're going to talk about how to create a business. A lot of times that we talked about it today here, it's like there's a lot of jobs behind the scenes. And so it's like, how can you create a business uh, with eSports? So sign up for the podcast wherever you um, listen to podcasts and follow us on social media. Thanks, Eniola, and we'll be talking to you soon. Thank you very much, Tom. Thank you, Reginald. Have a good day. Bye-bye.